In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode six of Down in a Heap. I'm your host, Rob, from Northeast Minneapolis. Sorry it's been so long since I last did a podcast. Uh, Some stuff, bad stuff came up uh, with my family, and suffice to say, 2018 was pretty horrible, and I'm looking forward to a great 2019, and I hope it is for all of you as well. If you haven't noticed by now, production values, (laughs) and I put that term in quotes, on down in a heap are are pretty poor. Um, I usually do with these bar, uh, these podcasts down in my rec room, so you occasionally will hear the furnace kick in or water running or Mary walking around upstairs. And uh, my speech still is peppered, I know, with ums and you knows and all these placeholders. And I apologize for that. I hope things get better as I as I do these more often and figure out how to do editing. I actually tried doing that in the last episode and with mixed results uh, or a lot of harsh kind of cutoffs and things. And and I was actually recording the episode in a couple of different rooms as I walked around during the, uh, that morning. So it's probably noticeable. The, I don't know if the acoustics are a little different in various rooms and stuff, but I'm going to try and get better, but realize that there's probably going to be a ceiling on any kind of uh, uh, professionalism. Uh, that's that's definitely uh, not the term. But it's basically going to just be me rambling on. I hope eventually to try and get some of my fellow gamers on with uh, either some interviews or just talking about the a topic together. Um Bill, John, Keith, you're on the list. Hope uh, hope you join me, join me soon. But in the meantime, I actually got another call in, uh, another one from John Large in the UK, so here you go. Hi, Rob. John from Red Dice Diaries here. Just been listening to your episode, The Three E's of Being a Great Player, and I thought your point about players getting involved in doing a little bit of the legwork, particularly struck a chord with me as someone who gems an awful lot i personally think it's the responsibility of both the gms and the players to be responsible in part for their own fun and i think that's something you were expressing very eloquently in your episode i think often we we see the sort of like false idea that the gm is entirely responsible for whether a game works whereas actually it's the responsibility of everyone involved working together to pull together as a team and as a group and be responsible for making that game the best game it can be and that so that everyone has the maximum enjoyment. Anyway, thought it was a great episode, dude. Thanks very much. And I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks for calling in again, John. I appreciate it. You're right. The game success does depend upon everyone at the table participating and having a good time and contributing and you know, as a as a DM, I DM most of the time, or a good portion of the uh, the time as well. And a lot of my fun is dependent upon the players. Um, you know, if everyone is just sitting there, not really 
getting into it or reacting, I'm always thinking, wow, I'm, I'm doing a crap job of, of uh, running this game. But, uh, you know, they share in some of the responsibility too. And it, it does feed on each, uh, you feed off of one another in your enthusiasm and engagement at the table. And yeah, so, you know, jump in and, and be part of the game as a player. Don't sit back and and just observe all the time, you'll, you'll probably have a lot more fun if you engage. And so if you tend to be more passive, try and try and take a more active role and, and see if you get more of a charge out of your game. And, and believe me, the other players and, uh, and DM will appreciate it. So don't be a load. So I play in a couple different, uh, game groups. Um, and on Monday, the Monday night group, uh, Chris is starting a new game this upcoming Monday uh, with uh, the new Savage Worlds. I didn't even really wasn't aware that there was a new version coming out, but he's starting up a a game based on a, a pirate kind of setting. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I think it was some Kickstarter that he supported. But anyway, it got me thinking about making up a character and character creation in general in RPGs, so on to the main topic. Character generation is a process common to all role-playing games, and there's all sorts of different ways to do it and you could probably record dozens of episodes regarding the whole process and maybe breaking it down by game system and and what attributes are used and class versus skill based and all that and maybe I will break out into some of those side discussions on other podcasts but for now I'm going to look at it from the standpoint of rolling a character and building a character and when we started out back in the 80s with uh, bx D and AD&D, we called it rolling up a character because that's what you did um, you rolled dice to determine your attributes and that was largely how your character was differentiated from another character of the same class. I mean, aside from the personality and things that you in, uh, injected into the character, but that the attributes you rolled were what um, made your fighter different from um, Neil's fighter. And there were a lot of different ways to generate those stats. And as additions rolled on and as well even within AD&D it became a lot more slanted towards a kind of a heroic kind of character whereas when you're rolling up like in uh, Molde Basic when you're rolling 3d6 down the line and just having very limited control over um, adjusting stats by removing points from one to add to another you, uh, you know, you pretty much, what you rolled was what you got, and you didn't have a 
a whole lot of choice in the matter. But then there were other methods in the in the AD and D DMG where, he, and what became most common, I think, with our groups, and probably with a lot, judging from what I hear on other podcasts and read on blogs and things, is was the old forty six, drop the lowest, and arrange them to taste, and so it started verging more towards the building a character where you were, you were able to create, or had more liberty in creating the character you wanted. You could make um, a, a strong character or a charismatic character or an intelligent character and and tweak those things within the, the balance of what you rolled, obviously. Um, but so lately I've, I've been going much more back into... Uh, the, the traditional method of, of rolling up a character and having the dice determine things a lot more than, than the player choosing things. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, I'm sure a lot of players, and especially players that grew up with more modern games where you have a, a point total allocation that you can assign to different attributes and you you basically get to choose everything about your character and just have have parameters um, in place by whatever rule system you're using that that uh, make characters all start on a, essentially the same footing. Savage Worlds does that with you know giving you basically points to assign to uh, give you different a different die in each uh, attribute, and then you you know can take hindrances to. A, to buy advantages and things like that. And in 5th edition D&D, you can... I think most people probably use the, either the the standard array that you can assign to your characteristics or the, uh, the point-buy system where... But, you know, a lot of... I think building a character... Um, I don't know. it. I think it does lead a little bit towards power gaming and munchkin kind of attitude and especially when you start getting into things like optimizing builds choosing uh, a particular race that will give you that stat bump you need or um or combines with a class to to make a really potent combination and and then you add things like feats which i have really I shouldn't even talk about it because I don't have any experience in it. There was a a lull in my gaming um, that ended with 2nd edition D&D and didn't come around again until um, until shortly before 5th edition came, came about. So I never played 3rd edition, 3.5, Pathfinder, 4th Ed, but the, the whole concept of feats is something that really rubs me the wrong way anyway. It just seems way too much like video game powers your character has and and I know um, there's been other podcasters that have talked about the whole heroism kind of continuum. Uh, Joe the Lawyer did a great episode where he was talking about that and um, and I, I do think games have gone a lot more from starting out with a, a character that is just another guy uh, for the most part or gal, um, to becoming a hero. You, even though you're first level, 
you're still um, something of a, a hero. I mean, one of the the backgrounds in Five E is a folk hero. You're you're a first level folk hero, I guess, and I guess you could construct some uh, some story that could explain that. But still, it's right there in the title, and. Keith is the one that kind of brought me back into thinking about this more as the the way they started out with because he was pretty keen on uh, DCC and the tagline there of you're no hero and and that does appeal to me and that, that's not to say that you can't get better you can't improve your PC but starting out I think you should be more within the bounds of uh, uh a normal character and I know some people really hate playing a character that doesn't have high high stats or at least one or two high stats to make them feel better than than the rest of uh, the common folk and things um, and they like to be able to build the character they really want to play and as a nod to that uh, Keith and I kind of came up with a a system to both use the randomly determined character generation, actually rolling a character by rolling 3d6 in order, so you can't cherry pick things and say, "No, I don't, I don't care about charisma. I'm going to dump that, the traditional dump charisma, and and uh, have my high stats and constitution and dexterity and my prime requisite to to build my, you know, perfect beast." Um, and I really wanted to get away from that kind of concept of building your hero and and power gaming. And I like the idea of just, you know, dealing with what fate hands you. Because really that's, that's a lot more what it's like. You, you don't get to choose your parents, your family, your genes. You're just, you're stuck with it. And I don't know, I guess... Some people probably play role-playing games because they're they don't want to be stuck with being you know, hey I'm, I'm a middle-aged fat guy you know I want to I want to be the, the young, handsome, strong, intelligent, protagonist of the story. I don't want to be this this dumpy guy in the background, but, it's fun I think to to try and, make something out of, uh, a lesser kind of character or a suboptimum kind of thing and but what Keith and I did in the Whispered Tales of Gore is you roll 3d6 in order but you automatically get at least a six so if you roll below that you replace it with a six and then you can exchange one score for another so if you roll a a 14 in intelligence and a six six in wisdom and you really wanted to be a cleric well you could flip flop those two scores and get the 14 in wisdom and so you're a little bit better at uh, at your class you can you can kind of choose your class um rather than just dealing with it because well for for starters if you have four players and they all roll characters that are you know suited best to be a thief do you really want a party in a in a D&D game where they're all thieves or all magic users or all fighters sure you can make it work you can come up with a campaign to do it but it works a little better when you 
let the player um, choose their class. And that's another thing with character creation. So moving away from attributes a little bit is, you know, then how much freedom does the, the player have into determining other things like their, their race, their class, uh, their skills. And in old school D&D, of course, there's really no skill system, at least uh, aside from secondary skills like an AD&D or something. But uh, you can choose your class, but in, in especially AD&D in second edition, you couldn't just choose any race and class combo. You couldn't be a halfling uh, ranger or a gnome paladin or other these other crazy combinations and uh, they probably seem perfectly normal and acceptable to people that didn't grow up with that kind of background but playing 5e it just seems so kooky the some of the things that people come up with i'm going to be a halfling monk or a, a gnome barbarian just to to make something kind of ridiculous and i don't know i i don't like that kind of play i like I like old school. So, <clears throat> but in, so in AD&D, you, you had to have not only were you bound by, by races, but you, you were also had a, an entry level, uh, minimum attributes for a lot of these specialty classes like ranger or paladin or illusionist or druid and, and that made those classes seem a little bit more special because there weren't many um, characters rolled up that could qualify for for those classes. Until, of course, Unearthed Arcana came along with that ridiculous Superman character creation rolling where you just chose your class, and that determined how many dice you rolled in each attribute to... Uh, <laughs> you basically just came out with, yeah... Um, superheroes, which I think is antithetical to old-school play. But in a game, other old games like, say, Stormbringer, you not only rolled up your attributes, you rolled to see what nationality you were. You rolled to see what profession you started out with. You, It was all just random. And so you could have a beggar um, from Nadsikor and, and just <laughs> be a horrible character, or you could be a Pantangian sorcerer and have incredible power to start with. And I'm sure a lot of, um, people gaming now where they see balance of character strength as, as a virtue would be clutching their pearls to see a game like that. And, uh, and granted, it might not be so fun if you got, if you were dealt the the beggar character, while your buddy was the Pantangian sorcerer. But on the other hand, it, it might be a hoot to play, um, the the really pathetic kind of sidekick or something too. And you you just kind of make do with what you get. And sometimes those those um, really poor characters are the ones that come through at the other end and survive and just by chance the the really uh more heroic character that was randomly determined actually bites it somehow goes down in a heap um 
another game like Old School Traveler, that was another one where you could, um, well, you, you chose the, um, the branch of military or merchants or I think there was a nebulous other category. And that would kind of direct um, the skills available to you and the different things as you went through terms of service. Um, you'd acquire these different skills and bumps to attributes and things, but but that was all random too. You'd uh, you'd roll, so you couldn't just choose. I'm going to be choose pilot, or I'm going to choose gunnery, or whatever. You you rolled, and it was a little bit. Uh, yeah, you were you were kind of handed a character rather than building one, and um, you know, building a character is a whole kind of subset of the game culture, I think, and um, some people really get into it and want to, you know, it's a game within a game, and people want to really look for the best ways to optimize their character and, you know, come up with a way to almost break the system and um, you just do a search online for things like that. You find tons of videos about character, you know, optimized characters and uh, the perfect build or the worst build or the, you know, mistakes you can make in building a character and things like that. And, you know, I just don't have time or the energy or even the interest in doing that anymore. I I like games where you just can whip up a character in five minutes and, you know, the, the thing that takes the longest in an old school D&D game is buying equipment and um, that can be pretty tedious, um, but rules light games, some of the games I'd really love to try on, in 2019, one of them, Into the Odd, uh, by Chris McDowell, has a, you know, lightning fast character creation, there's only three stats that you roll, you can flip one of them, or exchange one with another, and then you roll hit points, and that combination actually you know the, there's a chart with on one side your highest attribute and on the other axis your hit points from 1 to 6 and that determines how much what gear you start out with and in some cases um either um a special power that you may have or uh some kind of more debilitating condition so that's kind of a little bit of a, a balancing mechanism. But you can, you know, your character's kitted out and created within how a game actually utilizes the stats. The attributes of a character also probably plays a role in how the players kind of view either randomizing it or or building a character. A game like into the odd or the black hack, that's a roll under system where you're trying to roll it. You roll a d twenty or trying to roll under your, or equal to or below your <clears throat> attribute. The the actual um, number means something. It's not just a bonus or a penalty on different actions. That's actually the the main game mechanic. So the the difference between a twelve and a nine is substantial. But, like in, in original d and I don't think you got bonuses until you reached really high uh, attribute totals, like 
16 or 18, and they were just plus one or plus two. And on the other end of the spectrum, <clears throat> you only got penalties once you got very low attributes. And then for BX, it went from a spectrum of minus three to plus three, with three and 18 being the outliers. And those, on a, a roll of 3d6, what do they happen less than 1% of the time? So you were mainly dealing with bonuses or penalties that were in the minus one, zero, or plus one range. Now, fifth edition, of course, does away with really the, the actual attribute means nothing in fifth edition because its skills and whatnot are all based on a target number. Um, so all your stats really doing is providing you with the bonus or a penalty and and they run from minus, is it minus five all the way down to, at the lowest levels, up to plus five, if you have a, a 20 or whatever. But, so, those numbers become much more meaningful, and especially within the realm of bounded accuracy. Um, when your proficiency is only plus two, your attribute means a lot more, or can mean a lot more. And I don't think your your proficiency bonus even goes up, again, to plus three until your fifth level, maybe. Um, and I think the ceiling is, is it plus seven at, at 20th level? So, so your attribute's almost more important than actually being proficient with something or skilled at something. And you know, that's just one of my many beefs with 5e, but I digress. So... <clears throat> I think, I think players that are sensitive to these things get their underwear in a bundle over really nothing. If, they're, if they've got a minus one um, on some attribute, you know, that's a 5% penalty on a d20 roll. Um, it's, it's not really all that important. And conversely, if you have a 14 or something and you get a plus one, you get an extra 5% on your probability, plus one on damage or something. It's Yeah, it's... I'd rather have it than not if, if given the choice, but in the in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make or break your character to have in a minus one penalty or a plus one bonus. Um, and I think that's one of the aspects of old school gaming I like a lot is that um, it's not so dependent upon... Uh, your ability scores, uh, you can you can still, it's it's much more relevant re relevant ugh, on your character level than than your ability scores. Um, so, where am I going with all this? I don't know. Um, the other thing that that I think is really uh, an important thing to consider when looking at character generation systems is all of that kind of mean or has an implied setting behind it. So if your character generation system creates really powerful characters starting out, well, yeah, they're they're meant to be heroic and from the get-go are are doing heroic things if if uh if any race can be any class. Well, that says something about the uh, the campaign world. 
if virtually every character class has magic, either at first or second level, like, like 5e, that seems to imply a very magical world. Unless leveled characters just are a very rare commodity, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Conversely, if uh, you have very high bar of entry, like a paladin and AD&D, where you need a 17 in charisma, not to mention 13 in wisdom and 9 in con and strength or whatever it was, that means that paladins are going to be incredibly rare. Um, so if you actually have a paladin in the party or someone that you know, uh, an NPC that you're familiar with, that's even a first-level paladin is really, really rare. Um, likewise, monks and bards and things like that. But the other things in character, you know, the character creation system, well, what available races there are, that says things about the campaign setting. Um, what languages are available, uh, all of that helps paint a game setting. So there's a lot going on with character creation. It's a, obviously a huge part of most role-playing games and is you know the gateway that every, all the players have into the game is through their character. So it's an important thing to consider. Um, I think it's I think it's largely dependent on each group and preference. Obviously, uh, some some may may like the more standard or traditional methods um, in old school play. Some may totally hate that and want no. I want to be able to make exactly the type of character I want to play. I don't want to leave anything to chance. And um, you know, both are valid points, I guess. But and I've probably fluctuated between the two. Um, over my gaming career, but um, lately I've been firmly entrenched in the, the old school method. So what do the rest of you think? Um, call in using the Anchor app or drop me an email at bigbellboney, um, bigbellboney at com. And as far as future episodes go, I was talking about having the Isle of Misfit Games episode. That's still something I want to do, but I think I'm going to break it up into several episodes and only have one game per episode. Um, and that way I can go a little bit deeper or not have, you know, an hour and a half long podcast. No one wants to listen to me drone on for more than probably 10 or 20 minutes at a, at a shot. Uh, and if you have any actual feedback regarding the podcast in general, also let me know. I appreciate uh, the calls that I've gotten from John Large at Red Dice Diaries. Uh, check out his YouTube channel and his podcast. And he does have, uh, um, I know, was it uh, Behind the Walls, I believe, is his, uh, his latest uh, supplement that he made uh, for the Midlands campaign setting. So check that out. But my players, please don't buy it because I'll probably run it at some point. But until then, don't go down in a heap.